Hope you all had a good week. Uh, had a few days off. Um, but it felt like the first time in a long time that uh, we've had two full days together. Judas, this is like almost the pity party starting again here. Judas has been just really busy. So to have two full days together was a real treat. Um, she's not here. Uh, this was a real treat. Um, but I think being the f- first full day, being being together after such a long time, she was getting really frustrated with me. She was getting so wound up with my filthy, disgusting habits that uh, she reached breaking point at one stage and, sit, and was threatening to kick me out. And uh, I was that shocked and there choked in my toenails. Oh, that's how shocked I was. The, the other problem with that is, the problem is that you didn't know that was a joke. I think you thought I was actually just telling the story of how <laughs> filthy and disgusting I am. Um, so that didn't land, that's fair enough. You, you didn't realise it was a joke, you just thought that's how disgusting I truly am. Anyway, uh, last week I was really grateful for William. I think that um, he shared some really helpful thoughts. I think it's the, gift of, it's the gift of the Psalms. I think it's the gift of the whole Bible. Um, it's the gift of metaphor that, um, that you, can come to, you can come to a passage, you can come to a story and, and learn different things from it. We've said from the start that uh, th- this was written by different authors over a vast number of years in different contexts, addressing different needs. And uh, you cannot wrap it up in one message. Um, and so I hope, hopefully you find it helpful as we just spent a few minutes talking through Psalm 133 last Sunday. And I suppose what I've become increasingly conscious of, I don't know if I was fully conscious of how uh, this would play out over these weeks, just really felt like we wanted to get stuck into the Psalms, big picture, um, and just acknowledging that most of the Psalms, a significant majority of the Psalms, are lament. The language we used last week was around disorientation. And so that if, if you're comfortable with disorientation or um, deconstruction, it's a bit of a buzzword as well, isn't it? Uh, dislocation. That, that, is, that is the language we talked about. Inspired by uh, what Walter Brueggemann talked about, a life of faith consisting of. Life of faith consisting of orientations, like a safe orientation a painful disorientation, and then a, almost like a surprising, I think he talked about a surprising reorientation. And I don't know about you, but there's even part, part of my week, I think I've, I've been in all three places <laughs> throughout this week. Uh, and I think Walter Brueggem is right, so much of life consists in those three areas. Um, and the Psalms are are really helpful for us because I think they are either psalms of reorientation, disorientation, or reorientation. And the problem, I think, in church, the problem I, I, I have had and, and probably still do at times, is that we try to take off the, the, those raw edges of disorientation, those raw edges of like pain and grief. We can so often deny them we can so often suppress them in order to keep face, in order to maintain status quo, in order to keep things, as I talked about last week, like just at, a, at an equilibrium, at a nice balance, just a safety. 
I think we recognise that so much of the Psalms don't come from that place. Those most powerful songs, those most powerful poems come from places of disorientation. And whenever there is a freedom to not have to um, suppress and not have to deny those raw edges of pain or grief or anger or, or whatever it is. And um, so thankfully Lila has, uh, is going to come and share because I think some of this stuff, obviously not be able to uh, tackle all of that in a few moments, but um, Lila will be so much more helpful, I think, at navigating through some of this than I will be. So Lila's going to come and do that for a few minutes. Um, I'm not going to so much interview. I don't think Lila needs me to do that. Uh, but I'll still sit beside you if that's all right. Okay. That all right? So, um, yeah, I mean, you can interview me if you like. I have a few thoughts. Um, I suppose picking up on what you've just sort of reminded us of from last week, um, there was some stuff that came up for me whenever Neil had shared about this idea of orientation and that secure place and where maybe we do like to be and we like to promote that we're in this secure place with our faith and in our life. Um, but the reality is we do have that painful disorientation in life. All of us, there's nobody here could say that, that they haven't. And then there is that surprising reorientation sometimes. Um, and I think what I like about those, splitting it into those three categories is we can see that in the Psalms. So as Neil has said, there is so much lament. Um, very often we can, we can be driven to the Psalms of comfort and thanksgiving and joy and celebration. And of course they're there, but the reality is if we take the book as a whole, there's a representation of real life here. So for many of us, yes, we have felt that joy and the celebration, and, and I hope that you all have had lots of that. But the reality is in a fallen world, we have lots of the pain. We have lots of disorientation. We have lots of that sense of, I don't know my way out of this. Being disoriented is meaning you don't know how you got in and you're not quite sure how to get out and you're not sure which is the left or the right. Or, you know, it's a bit of stuckness really. Um, and then there is the surprising reorientation, which is a good feeling, but we can get stuck there too. And so when I think about the Psalms, you know, because some Psalms like Psalm 88, you know, where David is, if we were, if we were maybe judging, I would say he's been a bit dramatic here, you know. So there's the language of why do you reject me, Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? You know, there's really, you know, um, we're not making fun of that. There are points we've all felt like that in life, but you're at that point where you just feel like where God has gone, where is he? Why is he hiding from me? Why is he not helping me? And when you read that, I know for me in my experience, when I've been at a point you know, in my life, reading this is really helpful. It really helps us to be seen. And so what I would hope that you would be able to take from reading this sort of Psalm is that when you're going through that point in life where you are feeling, where is God? Has he hidden himself from me? Why can't I feel him? Is he rejecting me? That at least one other person, the person who wrote this Psalm gets you. Now, lots of the rest of us get you. We might be as quick to admit it or put it in a book, but we, we get you as well. And it's really important for you to feel seen in that. And I think that's the thing that last week I felt like when Neil was speaking, I really was hoping that the person or the people in the room who, who were feeling that way and were feeling that painful disorientation, that they did feel seen, even if everyone around you is just not wanting to go there or if you're putting on a mask of the secure orientation and you look like you've got your stuff together. But really, there's pain, there's... there's problems navigating things that you know the scripture is here to say I see you I hear you I feel what you're going through um so yeah 
The other thought I had around some of these stages when I thought about my own experience and my own relationship with the Psalms is that some of the, these points in life, we can get a little bit stuck there. So we can get stuck in that secure place where we actually don't entertain any pain and we kind of deny it. We can get stuck in our pain where it just becomes our identity. We can get stuck in the, the phase of needing surprises, needing celebration, looking for the next big thing. We ha you know, and, and it's like we're in denial that there's anything wrong in the world. And this stuckness, I think we're all susceptible to it, but it can be a choice. So we can get stuck by accident, staying there is a choice. And I know for me, when I was, I was trying to think, oh, how do I explain this without you know, disclosing too much or triggering anyone? But I can remember a time, and it was a long time ago, Tamar was a baby, so that 13 years ago. And I can remember having a conversation with Andrea about something that, you know, we'd been through a lot of difficult stuff. There was a lot of loss. And at that moment, I think I get this painful disorientation because I remember he, he said something like, you know, why are you like this or why are you being like that? Or, you know, when are you going to get over it? it words to that effect, but in a nice way. And clearly I can remember saying, like, I am never getting over this. Like, this is my way of life now. And truly, I wasn't saying it to be dramatic. I believed that. Mm. And if you've ever been in the midst of painful disorientation, you, you do believe that, that sometimes, like you have no way out, like this truly must be my identity now, this is my life. And it's a painful, lonely place to be. And what I would say to you is at that time, maybe if someone had came along and said, well, you know, this is a phase and you will orient your way out of it and this is okay, that might've been helpful, but we do the best with what we can. And I suppose if now today I'm saying to you, if that's your, the stage you're at, if that's the painful orientation you're in and you don't know your, your way out of a situation, me and the, the Psalmist are saying, it's okay, you will, you will get unstuck. Um, stuckness can come from like the, the things that are happening to you, but it can come from your emotions as well. Mm -hmm. So emotions can be being in pain, feeling a sense of loss, feeling abandoned, feeling grief. All, all of these things, um, they're all emotions. And what I say to everybody who wants to, who asks me about emotions is like emotions are not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to lament. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this earlier. It's actually a really good, healthy thing. We've been given this spectrum of emotions, mm -hmm. but emotions should have motion. You imagine them as a circle so emotion can come you can feel rage if you read some of the psalms there's really dark stuff it's very it's very ugh, you know <laughs> it's hard to talk about you know in a public forum it's really dark and that anger that rage it's okay to have that if it's if it's moving that emotion should have motion if you're if your rage your anger is stuck we're accepting that that's your identity and we've all, like nobody here can say they've never done this in life. We've all been guilty of this at some point. We've taken that identity of this is my emotion, but this is me, this is who I am, this is how I'm living life. And what I would just encourage you to is just question, is there, is there an emotion? Is there something that's coming up for you? We're speaking about this and you think, yeah, that has been me for quite a long time. Is it time to get that ball rolling a little bit? Do you need a bit of help with that, that forward motion? Is that mm -hmm. helpful? That's good, yeah. <coughs> helpful for me anyway, yeah. So now to talk about Sam. That was just, that was just my Yeah, yeah. do talk about Sam. I, I feel like there's probably loads of questions that we could get stuck into. But I don't know if now's... I think just some of that, like, that I don't think we would have the time to do, but, like, all those stuff around, like, how long? How long is it okay to sit in that before getting the ball? All of those sort of questions, I think, are maybe helpful that would maybe stir in some people that I think would maybe in other private, more personal conversations would be helpful. I think just that language you've used around being seen, that is like, if I was to try and <clears throat> summarize 
what I would want to have happened the last couple of weeks, that probably is, is one of those things. No matter where we're at, because I think we all have the spectrum of emotion or spectrum of where we're at in terms of our orientation, disorientation, and the thought that everybody is seen. And the gift of the Psalms 2,000 years later, I think, are like are a gift that is still as relevant today for, for all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the other kind of thought I had on some of that was, um, you know, this inclination that we have towards presenting the secure version of us that we all do to a certain extent. Um, and I think that, you know, Neil and I have talked about what you present from the, the front versus what you can share in a one-to-one -one smaller group setting is that I think that it's okay for someone who is maybe leading us or, you know, leading a group of people or a community to be able to hold on to the secure things, to be the foundation, to say this is a secure orientation for you no matter what's going on outside, this is secure for you here. But I think that in, in the smaller groups, in the one-to-ones, that's where we, we have to have freedom to bring out the painful stuff because it is in relationship that we yeah. heal. Yeah. And that this is a scriptural concept, but it's also like from a worldly point of view of like healing and things, we have to do it in relationship. We are relational creatures. Mm -hmm. We have to do that in relationship yeah. with other people. So as much as it wouldn't be appropriate for me to, to open up a Sam here and say, well, Neil, this is, I remember this from my life and talk about a lot of difficult stuff. That's for me, it's not appropriate. It yeah. would be triggering, yeah. but in a, over a coffee, absolutely. Because I know that that might be helpful to you and that might be helpful to me. And I think all of this always comes back to community and the people you have around you. You know, you yeah. have to be able to, to open up this stuff in a safe way, but relationally. Yeah, yeah I just want, yeah. I just wonder too, that language you've used about emotions, in motion, I know you've mentioned Sam 88, and that's probably one of the exceptions rather than the rule. But even in the most, even in some of the psalmists' most deepest anguish, pain, and hurt, there is this what I've thought about this week is this defiant hope. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's maybe what allows emotions to keep going because even in the midst of, I think it was Psalm 42 and 43, mm -hmm. that there's obviously something like tears have just come day and night. And my, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? And Psalm 43 is still this cry that the Lord is going to vindicate, that the Lord is going to uh, present himself in, the, in, the, in, the, in, his, in his dwelling place or whatever language he uses. And I just couldn't help but think of the more I looked at those different Psalms that there was this defiant hope that even though the pain and the anguish was real and they expressed it and there was a freedom to express it, underpinning all of that was this defiant hope. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good. So, just whenever you're talking about emotion, yeah. I think the fan hope is the thing that keeps it at all. Can keep the ball rolling keep it, again. Keeps the ball yeah. rolling. And sometimes you can lose that hope or you need someone to come alongside you to carry the defined hope for you. You know, yeah, you can be at exactly. a point where you're weak and again, it comes back to relationally. So we are all susceptible to get to the point where we lose the hope, we're stuck. But if you've got good people around you to say, like, I'm holding the defiant hope for you, I'm going to help you get this ball rolling again, let's get you a wee yeah. bit of movement here. Yeah. It all comes back yeah. to community. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's why, I, even for people that aren't in a place of lament, mm -hmm. that's not where you're at. I think this is for everybody, because mm -hmm. if you're not there, you will be needed by someone yep. who is in that. Yep. in that place absolutely yeah i think that's so good so good to point out so if that is you this morning and you're thinking no i'm not you know i'm not yeah. in that place please come alongside those that are you know because yeah. we're all going to need it at some yeah. point yeah so for your sam 
Okay, so um, the psalm I pulled out was Psalm 46. Um, it's a really well-known verse. I'm just going to read the verse itself. Um, and maybe if the girls at the back could put it up for me, Psalm 46, verse 10, um, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. Um, and the reason I pull this out is a very well-known little verse, and it's one of those ones you always get in the fridge magnet or bookmarker. You know, it's one of those things. We all know the verse. Um, and we've maybe all had it said to us or have said it to someone. Um, but for me, I feel like that stillness is relevant no matter what season you're in. So if you're in that secure place, if you're in the place of pain, if you're in the place of surprising reorientation and you're, you know, full of zeal, you still need to be still. That's part of um, what our command is. And I know for me personally, I feel like I get more words like this than words to do stuff. So if your personality is naturally that you're not still a lot of the time. So if you're task oriented and you're list oriented and you love a checklist and that's me and I'm proud of that. I do, that's part of the personality God gave me. But being still is a challenge then. So if you're like that, especially that stillness can be really helpful to be reminded that we need it. Um, and the way that uh, this was shared with me a while ago, there's a way of reading this verse that really helps us to still our hearts. So if you're willing to maybe just talk me through it, is that okay? Yeah. Do I have more time? Okay. So it's up on the screen there. Be still and know that I am God. So pause a little moment and think about that top line. Maybe take a breath and think about what that actually means. And then be still and know that I am. Full stop. I am. And that is enough. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And as you breathe out, just think, be still and know. What do you know? You know who you are. You know who God is and you know he's here with you and that's all you need to know so be still and know those facts take another breath and as you exhale you think be still be still my body be still my soul be still my mind i breathe in jesus right now and i am still And then finally, just be. Take a deep breath and settle into your seat. And just be. That's all you have to do. And that can be helpful, that exercise to do when you are feeling like things are maybe racing, there is no stillness. That can take a few moments to repeat that a few times and um, really settle our hearts. So, you know, meditation is just, you know, truly meditating in scripture is connecting the scripture with our breathing. So if we can slow our breath, if we can focus on scripture, if we can settle our hearts, even for five minutes, that's true meditation. And that would, that would be the psalm I would want to share with you this morning. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Is that enough? Thank you. I think so. <laughs> thank you. Good stuff. Lila, thank you so much. Um, I could just sit here and do that, be still another few times, actually. Um, yeah, let me, let me take another five or ten minutes, if that's okay. There's a couple of things that 
I was conscious of the last few days and probably maybe exaggerated um, yesterday uh, by what's going on in our world and I think that is my fear when we when a faith community, when a community like this the church avoids lament I think one of the things I think we've been talking about is that it's when you avoid lament, it, you're then taught by example. You're taught by example to respond to moments of great need with either silence or praise. And I think there's a place for silence, of course, and there's a place for praise, but I'm hoping that we're seeing that there's a place for that raw, honest vulnerability even um, but the other point the other point I think when we avoid lament avoid disorientation that I think it doesn't acknowledge the wrong that's in the world it doesn't acknowledge the injustice and the oppression and the pain that's in the world I think that's why I'm really what I mentioned Delilah there and I find myself really grateful actually for the Psalms that um, in spite of all that the, 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 the writers of these songs and poems are going through, all the pain and the grief and the anger that they are expressing, they are still refusing to settle for things as they are. They're in a place of seeming hopelessness. Everything that they've known, everything that they valued has been stripped away from them. They've been captured and taken into a place of captivity, deemed worthless and valueless. Yet they refuse to settle for things as they are. That is this defiant hope that we see littered throughout the Psalms. And, and in some ways I think we, we only get to that place, I think, this defiant, I think disorientation and lament is the place that brings us to that defiant hopefulness. Those honest to God prayers. Those honest to God prayers that... Um, that bring us through disorientation. Part of me has wondered, and I don't know if this will make sense to you, but I've been thinking that the level of that of like real passionate, defiant hope that we that we possess, that we have, is proportional to our level of comfort. And I'm wrestling with that. I'm, I'm wondering, is that true? In a place of ease in a place of comfort, in a place where everything's balanced and easy and safe. There seems to be little, less need anyway, less need for that defiant hope. But when you come with all of the pain and the, you're able to express all of the grief, yet refusing to settle for things as they are, you have this defiant hope that I think is scattered um, throughout the Psalms. Maybe your struggle still is that you think that God can't handle those raw, honest cries. I think the gift of the Psalms is that, my goodness, he surely can. <laughs> Maybe you've been, you've been brought up in an environment where those raw, honest cries have been denied or suppressed because you think that God can't take it. If you want to see what God can handle, the sort of lament and cries and anger and pain and frustration, read Psalm 88 today. 
I almost want to say I dare you to read Psalm 88 and see that there God can handle all of your raw, honest cries. And I just think Psalm 42 and 43, um, we'll not have time to read it, but I think just it's worth pointing out. I, I don't know what way you, you read through the Psalms, but if I can suggest that you read Psalm 42 and 43 together, I think they were always meant to be paired together. Um, and, I, and I think Psalm 42 and 43, we could, I know that we could go anywhere to talk about the real stuff of prayer, but here's a good example of it, I think. Like this is the stuff of prayer. Can I maybe even suggest this? Maybe this is unfair to Robin Mark or whoever wrote As the Deer Pants. I do, I do like that song. But Psalm 42 starts with As the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you. And if, you know, if you've seen the music videos for some of that, it's so serene and pleasant and nice. And I think it's almost one of those things where it's a sign of how much we avoid lament. Because we almost come to that Psalm 42, thinking that's what the psalm's about, how much we want God, how much our soul longs for him. But not, but not acknowledging why the soul is so desperate. And it's because of um, my tears have been my food day and night. Like the <laughs> Rob Mark song doesn't sing about that. It's, hard to, it's maybe hard to put those songs into, those words into songs to sing on a, on a Sunday morning. And all day long I've been crying out, where is God? As I pour out my soul, my soul is downcast, deeps calling out the deep. I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? And why I think that, that this Psalm 42 and 43 are, go together is because Psalm 42 doesn't really have an ask. There's no real ask, but Psalm 43 has the ask. It has the, God, this is, this is, this is all that I'm going through. This is the pain and the frustration and the grief that I'm experiencing. It is my lived experience. Yet I have this defiant hope that is still somewhere within me and I'm crying out that you would vindicate me because you're my stronghold. And would you send forth your light and your truth and let your light and truth bring me to the place where you dwell. And I think that's the stuff of prayers because um, it's because God is at work in, in such pain that the psalmist um, is able to enter and does enter God's presence with all of these realities. With all that is going on in his life, all that is going on in his head and in his heart. And I think lament encourages us to lift our voice honestly. And I also think lament encourages us to lift our voice in protest at injustice. And my challenge has been my personal challenge over the last number of years and probably even over the last number of weeks has been how much we want to avoid some of this stuff. We are so desperate at times for the comfort. We're so desperate at times for the safety that we're, we want to rush back. We want to get back to normal as soon as possible. We want to get back to normal as soon as possible. And those are the moments where all of those frustrating cliches um, are offered. We're so desperate to get back to normal that we'll flippantly fire off with the people in the midst of great pain and, 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 and grief. It, it was God's timing or it was God's plan or they're in a better place. We're so desperate to get back to normal. We're so desperate to avoid the pain and the lament and sitting with all of that uh, that we 
do nobody any favours. And I, and I think that if we want to say that the lament psalms encourage us to lift our voice in protest at injustice, um, we can even more, we could say that as well for the imprecatory psalms. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a fancy way of saying, um, maybe a more subtle way of saying to invoke evil upon. And uh, can you believe that those psalms, can you believe that those prayers and poems are in the Bible? To invoke evil, that is some of the prayers that are in the Bible. And I don't want to take loads, I don't want to take loads of time with this because it, be, it would be difficult. It would become very melancholic in here, but, or worse. But Psalm 58, and not, I don't think I am encouraging you to read this. Maybe I am. Maybe I should. But Psalm 58, if you were to read Psalm 58, you'll see the prayer of the people of God towards their enemies is that he would break their teeth or that he would, Psalm 69, that he would let their, let your burning anger overtake them or Psalm 83, that you would wipe them out. Anybody ever prayed those prayers? Psalm 139 maybe is, just gets to the point, kill, kill the wicked God. The challenge, I think, we are, we are approaching this uh, in light of the call of Jesus, the, res the responsibility to live as Jesus' people and Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But yet, these Psalms are still here. And my practice, I don't know whether it's been intentional or whether it's been because of how I've been conditioned, but I've, I've always avoided. I find myself probably skipping over those Psalms to get to the next one. Oh no, my Bible reading, Psalm 58, I'll wait. I'll sleep in, I'll get an extra lie in and I'll, I'll pick up Psalm 59 in the morning. The temptation practice sometimes has been to move on to the next one. But I find myself, um, myself thinking about where those these words the place the context that these words were being written you think of the Israelites you think of these men and women and children who have been captured they've been these people who are oppressed and as I've already said deemed worthless and of no value have been forcibly removed from all that they know. These people have been forcibly removed from their houses. They've been forcibly removed even from family. They've been taken from their land. The difficulty with that is, is that this is the land that God had promised them. They were living in the land and worshiping at the temple, all that God had instructed, all that God had promised. And now they've been forcibly removed from all of that. Their land taken from them. The temple taken from them. And I think if we are to empathise at all with the oppressed, if we were able to empathise at all with what the situation that these people, that these men and women and children and families found themselves in, if we were, we would, um, I think we would better understand why they cried out the way that they did. If we were able to 
acknowledge what's going on in our world, if we were to be a people that like fully advocated for the oppressed, then I think we would understand better why they cried out the way that they did. And I'm not saying this to, to, be, to provoke you, or, but it is difficult. I can, say, I can say it for myself. You can take ownership of this if you want. It is difficult for people of privilege and comfort to understand the need, to understand the language of these imprecatory psalms. It's difficult for us to understand it. We avoid it, we're uncomfortable with them because we don't know what it's like to be oppressed. We don't know what it's like to be threatened by a real enemy. We don't know what it's like to be forcibly removed. We don't know what it's like. It's just became real, I suppose. I just find myself listening to stories of um, black preachers and what it was like over the course of the last number of decades trying to be a people who were faithful in spite of oppression in spite of being marginalized, in spite of being mistreated, in spite of being deemed valueless, deemed worthless, to hear their sense of defiant hope, to be able to to empathize at all with their oppression, you begin to understand where they cry out the way that they cry out. I encourage you to keep praying for Nigel. Nigel's in in India right now, and there's a part of India that he's not able to get into, but he's able to share with us what's going on. And here's a people who are being forcibly removed. Here's a people who know what it is to be deemed worthless and valueless and to be forced into, and to be threatened. And I think when we, begin to, when we begin to acknowledge the real needs that are in our world, we begin to try and empathize with what is going on around us, we begin to understand the need and the situations behind these types of prayers for Lila said there's everybody can feel that they're they're seen the psalms are a gift to us so that everybody can feel that they're seen and I think even with these psalms as uncomfortable as they make us in some of the language whenever you think about those that have real enemies threatening them whenever you think of the oppression that is going on in different parts of our world the words of these psalms uh, are much more relatable. And I, I want to say, I want to make sure that you're hearing me, that it's definitely not okay to ask God to kill babies. It's definitely not okay to ask God to break people's teeth. teeth. But it is okay, and I think that's, again, what we're trying to, trying to communicate over these last couple of weeks. It's not okay to ask that. But it is okay to present honest, emotionally charged prayers to God. It's okay to do that. The stuff can't be okay for some of that stuff to have been prayed because it just runs contrary to what Jesus taught us and what Jesus lived out. But they're there for us because it's okay to present raw, emotionally charged, passionate prayers to God. My challenge to us in response to these psalms, as difficult as this might be, and as heavy as this is, I'm conscious of that, and there's, there's a part of me wants to apologize, and there's a part of me doesn't. But I think if there is, there's one thing that we, could, that we could learn, that we could actually put into practice, is that we become more aware, maybe, 
We acknowledge what is going on in our world and we should be in a state of rage. It mightn't be at our, it mightn't be our real lived experience at the minute, but we should be in a place of rage at the oppression in our world. We should be in a place of anger and grief at what brothers and sisters and, and even like just people across our world are going through. The mistreatment and the prejudice that is all around us. And we could go to those stories across in India and even parts of America and we could, but we could go right here and you know the things that we're passionate about here. And we should be angry, we should be frustrated and grieving that there is mistreatment and prejudice all around us. And I think the Psalms are a gift to us that allow us to acknowledge that and present that and, but at the same time, have this defined hope that will not settle for how things are, whether it's for ourselves or whether it's for those that are around us or for those that are further afield. We're not going to settle for anything less because we know there's something within us knows who this God is. Be still and know. Know who he is. Know that he's at work. Know that he's good. Know that he loves us. Know that he's working all things together. Be still and know that and know that. Let that defiant hope fuel your prayers. Let it do something to you as you bring all of your emotions to him.